You're listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University with Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings. Join them as they bring hope and encouragement through 25 years of combined experience in biblical discipleship and counseling as ACBC counselors. Shelby and Kimberly provide biblical and practical wisdom by coming alongside women with the teaching and resources necessary to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome, ladies. We are so thankful that you have joined us today for the topic you suggested. This is our third podcast in our series, Issues of the Heart, and this is probably one of our most uh, popular counseling topics. Shelby, would you agree? (laughs) I would totally agree. (laughs) All right. So we're going to jump right in, and uh, Shelby and I are going to talk today about when anxiety grips our hearts, because... We have been there. We have done that. (laughs) Definitely. And it's funny you should say it's one of our more popular counseling topics. We would agree about that in our our counseling rooms, but we would also say, or I've actually, um, when I was teaching in the classroom, I had surveyed women to see what they wanted to be taught. And this was like number two or three on the list of 10 or top 10 or something. So there you go. But no, I'm excited uh, that the topic of anxiety and worry was asked about because it is an issue of the heart that Mm -hmm. is very common to Mm -hmm. man. And so it's important to talk about it from a biblical perspective. We want to understand what the word has to say about it much more than our own personal opinion, right? Right. Um, So um, how I would kind of start this conversation just for our listening audience. Um, the one thing that we should note is that um, in the Bible, you often come across the word worry, and that um, is actually translated um, anxiety or concern. Um, but according to many of um, the, the scholars that we read, uh, the Greek word for anxiety they feel ought to be translated worry. Um, just because we understand it better, it's more part of our contemporary language and what God is actually talking about. But here's here's a really good biblical definition I think we could throw out there for our listening audience. Um, anxiety is simply to care for or be concerned about some future event. And um, Jesus really brings that definition um, to bear Mm -hmm. um, in passages like, or in verses like Matthew 6, 25, when he tells the disciples, and you'll be familiar with this, you know, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, right? What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Um, So... Yeah, I glean that definition really right from that verse primarily, but it's it's also interesting to note just through my own studies that there actually is in the Bible um, two categories of anxiety. There's godly concern, so there's a positive, right. and there's ungodly concern. Um, the, the godly concern, Paul writes about this um, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, um, you know, he talks about it's I'm kind of jumping in on a much larger context. But in that verse, he says that there may be no division in the body, mm-hmm. but that the members may have the same care for one another. 
Um, and so that verse um, is is essentially exhorting Christians uh, in Corinth, and of course, by extension, all of us, to have the same, quote unquote, care for one another. And that is, that original Greek word means to be concerned about. Um, we know that the, the Apostle Paul was genuinely concerned about the brethren in Corinth and that they, that they what, continue to maintain unity in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always um, a familiar teaching of Paul's anyway. It just wasn't at the church in Corinth. But uh, apparently um, the church in Corinth was really more focused on who had the greater gift. If you've ever studied through mm-hmm. uh, Corinthians, you know that. Um, and so the latter is more of a self-focus, and that could result, obviously, in disunity in the body. So in this particular instance, Paul is expressing um, godly concern. Um, he desired that they would have not would have mutual concern for one another and not be so caught up in the self-focus. And so there's there's definitely um, times when believers can have godly concern. Paul certainly models that. Um, the kind of concern I'm talking about is the kind that's constructive. It's not sinful. Right. And and Scripture certainly recognizes uh, certain types of intense concern as being perfectly legitimate, mm-hmm. right, for Christians. Um, so I just wanted to kind of bring that one out because I think there's going to be times when we have just genuine godly concern. It's the same Greek word. <laughs> and, um, you know, there are just going to be those times. And I'll actually talk a little bit about uh, what the difference is. Mm-hmm. But before I do that, I want to talk about what God's word addresses more often <laughs> <laughs> which would be the ungodly concern, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's really uh, probably more centered around um, even the topic that the person, whoever wanted to have this talked on, <laughs> what they're referring to. It was more to. than one. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, it was more than one. Oh, because you said it was, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty neat. Um, okay, so let's just look at a familiar passage. I would just say, if you have your Bibles, Let's just look at something very familiar like a Philippians 4, verse 6, and we can see how Paul's exhorting the brethren um, in, uh, in Philippi there. He says, do not be anxious, so there's our word, about anything, hmm. but in everything, hmm. <laughs> by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so here... Paul is using the same Greek word as he did in the verse that I just read in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25. But in this context, it has more of a negative uh, meaning, um, which is to divide, part or rip or tear apart. Mm -hmm. um, Or it even means, it can even mean like be distracted, like your attention is distracted. Um, So the word kind of describes more the action and the effects of worry, right? Um, and here's the big difference, Kim, um, between both of these definitions that I gave. Um, godly concern focuses on God and others, right? That's the end. But godly, ungodly concern would be more focused on self, self-centered issues. So those are some of the things that um, I I just gleaned initially when mm-hmm. we were just kind of thinking through uh, this topic. Mm-hmm. So, I like really how you point out there's 
a difference between godly care or concern and ungodly. And, and like you said, you see that in Paul's life. I mean, yeah. it says in Acts, you know, that he was concerned for the flock with tears. Right. You know, so there, that's okay. That's right? okay. That is a godly concern. And so, and, and I love how God in his providence has put this together because we didn't really think about this way, but it, this really dovetails with our last episode mm-hmm. I on think one so. anothering. This is really important. And like you just said, you know, when our focus is on God and others, mm-hmm. well, others is going to be the one anothering. That's right. <laughs> so um, I really, I'm thankful of God's providence in putting that together. But um, I really just wanted to stop and think about what I do when I get anxious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I really remember, especially I started thinking about a particular instance in 2007 where someone else's sin was grieving our hearts. Mm. And so I remember just being consumed initially by the what ifs or the if onlys and, you know, all these different things about the circumstance. And then I remember I was just being overwhelmed with thinking that wasn't true or right. And so each morning, I purpose myself to wake up, read the Psalms, pray through the Psalms that put my focus back on God. And then I intentionally looked for a way to serve someone else. And that really helped me to get my focus on to God and on to others. And it didn't make the trial go away. It was still there. And I still grieved in my heart with care for that person. But yet my concern was more godly concern mm-hmm. and not worry and if only and what if concern. Mm-hmm. So that was one time when I really remember having to go, okay, Kim. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and the, in the bed, and, right? the, and the difference is, is it prompts you to pray. You're grieved. I was and praying it you to the pray. Psalms, right. Yeah. Totally. Big difference. Totally. You know, Shelby, I'm reading right now uh, Martin Butcher's book, True Care of Souls. And um, I picked it up after the Care of Souls conference that we were at last year, which, you know, Lord willing, if you can make it, you should definitely look into coming. I believe it's going to be in June. Yeah, uh, June 10th to 12th. Good, June mm-hmm. 10th to 12th of of this of next year of 2022. But you should look it up and attend it. But anyway, uh, by the very title of this book, it's called True Care of Souls. Um, you, we see that there is a care that is godly. And I love what Martin Butcher says. He's very careful to point out the importance of the local assemblies. They didn't use the word body as much as, or a church. They use the word assemblies uh, in describing local bodies. It says that the assemblies help us in our weaknesses. And he says, avoiding the regular gathering will reveal errors in a sheep's thinking and they do not really long, get this, to have the mind of Christ. Mm. So there's something going on in our thinking when we are uh, anxious and we end up avoiding being with the very people who can come alongside us and help us mm-hmm. during that time. 
He also said that it should be our desire to diligently seek out and serve the well-being of others Mm -hmm. during this Mm -hmm. time, which really, I'm so thankful. Like I said, it just ties into our last episode. And he goes on to say, as we focus on serving God through one another better, our sinful thoughts of unbelief, which he calls fantasies, (laughs) I thought that was a really good uh, word to use there, will automatically disappear and we will day by day become more capable and fit to have a pure grasp of the doctrine of Christ. So what he said was, is that he didn't say that the trial or the issue will go away, but our sinful thoughts will go away Hmm. and we will be thinking more on our Savior. And I thought that that was really, really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And one more thing that I've noticed when I read the old dead guys is that they <laughs> they don't really use the word worry or anxiety as much. They call it when they use care, like you're saying, there's a godly care and an ungodly care. When they speak of the ungodly care, they call it carking care. And I have adopted that word because it's so good. It just sounds worrisome, doesn't it? Carking. Yes, it does. <laughs> but it means burdensome or annoying. Wow. And that really ties into that being torn apart or distracted, mm-hmm, burdened, mm-hmm. right? And um, in the Greek, according to Thomas Watson, worry is to cut the heart into pieces. Mm-hmm. That des- that describes ungodly care really, really well. And he says it excruciates the mind and it wastes the spirit. Mm-hmm. So Shelby, <laughs> with that being said... I want you to walk us through Matthew 6, 25 through 34, and help us to understand why Christ himself sees anxiousness or ungodly care as foolish. Yeah, I just, I really love the way you you developed godly care. I think that's great. I love, I as you said, I love reading the old dead guys myself, and I, I'm loving this carking care. I mean... <laughs> It's just yeah. It's in the Valley a, of Vision. It's Thomas amazing. Watson. It's yeah. amazing. It really does. Yeah, it really does give it more of a a flavor, like you said, mm-hmm. of the tearing apart um, mm-hmm. of the heart. But sure, let's walk through Matthew six. Uh, let's look at Matthew six. Uh, let's let's kind of go over uh, verses twenty five to thirty four and and just seek to understand some of those things. It's a large portion of scripture, so I'll just kind of do a little bit at a time, but. It's probably helpful for um, our listening audience to know that uh, this is this passage of scripture is part of a larger sermon that Jesus is giving, right? We know that. Um, he's talking to great crowds of people, so it's a mixed audience, but at the same time, his disciples are near him. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going over, and this these crowds are the ones that are just following him around, and he is sitting down to teach now with authority, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. to the crowds there. Um, And he's talking on a lot of different topics in the Sermon on the Mount. But I mean, because I think just before, just before what we're going to look at, he's exhorting the crowd um, and his disciples, among other things, not to lay up for themselves treasures um, on earth, but to lay treasures in heaven. So it's kind of um, on the heels of that. Because we know that where our treasure is, our heart is also. Um, in fact, you can't even begin to serve two masters. Right. Um, you can't serve God and money, for example. So Jesus goes into all of that before. And then we get to this um, passage 
in light of that exhortation. And just beginning in verse 25, uh, just looking at that first, it says that uh, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. We just kind of almost read something similar mm-hmm. in Philippians, right? Mm-hmm. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this span of life? And so I would say that one of the reasons why it's foolish to be anxious, if you will, about our life, at least from the Lord's perspective, is because it's unproductive. Mm-hmm. It's completely unproductive. In other words, um, all of this worrying and, and you know anxiety-ridden thoughts that we have, that we choose to engage in, it absolutely accomplishes nothing, I find, except perhaps uh, leading to things like ulcers. <laughs> certainly have right. uh, gray hair, mm-hmm. you know, um, and just other sins that can, that are, that just kind of flow out of that or spiral down. We complicate when we begin to have anxious thoughts. That's where the battle begins and we complicate the issue and one thing compounds um, another. And then if you jump down to verse 34, you kind of see Jesus elaborating on this verse verse 25, because he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, which we have a tendency to do. And that ties in with, with the definition I gave in the beginning, you know, going into the future, you're caring too much about the future for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Mm-hmm. Sufficient uh, for the day is its own trouble. So in other words, um, being anxious or worried is unproductive because it's simply a thief of your time. You know, I mean, just think about all those times You've been anxious in a sinful way. How it's you just, it was a thief of your time. It just takes away mm. um, from other things that you could have been doing because your mind is just working overtime, mm-hmm. you know? Um, the other thing that Jesus uh, helps us to understand from this passage is that, you know, ungodly care or anxiousness, it's not only unproductive, but it's just unnecessary. And it, you see this being brought out in verses 28 to 30. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Ouch. I know. (laughs) So he's saying there that worrying or being anxious, um, it's just unnecessary because God is completely um, able and trustworthy to provide for our needs. Don't we trust him for those things? So why do we fret? Um, Why do we spend our days fretting um, over things like what Jesus is talking about, what we wear, what we eat, you know, what we drink? Um, and, and we could just, the list could go on, you know, um, don't we believe that God is concerned for us? You know, don't we believe that he's concerned and and able to take care of those things? I think of like first Peter five, where we're called to cast our anxieties upon the Lord Mm -hmm. because he cares for us. Don't we believe that that God cares for us? And I like what's before it. This is, you need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just the way we think, don't we? It's almost like the sin of unbelief. How are we viewing God 
um, in these situations. And so we, we succumb to ungodly concern at the end of the day, again, when, when we kind of uh, have a low view of God and, and, and we, we were just not, it's not like you wake up thinking that God isn't sovereign or something like that, but functionally, your life expresses that, right? Exactly. Um, and so with this particular sin, though, the, it seems to, the common thing that I see maybe in counseling is that functionally what we're saying or expressing is that God isn't good, that he isn't faithful, and that he isn't sovereign. So that's part of it. It's like you've got to check how are you viewing God in that whatever situation you're succumbing to, anxiety over. Um, and then finally, um, in this passage, Jesus says um, in this part of the sermon that ungodly concern is just unbecoming mm-hmm. um, because it focuses on what you, what one doesn't have. And we see it in verses 31 to 32. Um and I think I read some of this already, but therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them and you need them all. And so he's just kind of pointing out that being anxious about what you're going to drink and wear and is just really more of a, a focus on earthly values, you know, temporal, temporal values, not not heavenly values, or you're mm-hmm. not, not really having an eternal mindset. And sometimes that is the issue, the root issue behind why you're becoming anxious, um, because you're so focused on the gifts and the loss of those gifts, as opposed to the giver of those gifts, right? Right. If you fear that you're going to lose material possessions, let's say, your focus is too much on those material possessions. That becomes sort of the idol of your Mm -hmm. heart, Um, so it's unbecoming because when you engage in it, who are you acting like? You're acting like the pagans he's talking about in this right. passage. We're acting like our old man. Mm-hmm. You know, we're too, we're laying up for ourselves too much treasures here on earth and mm-hmm. not enough um, in heaven. And so kind of to sum up this passage, at least in an effort to help us understand our hearts better, because that's the goal. We want to understand our hearts better. Um, Here are just some things to consider. This is not exhaustive. This is just a way for you to ask uh, questions of your own heart, whether or not your anxiety, because Kim did a really good job of helping us to understand better the godly care. um, But we want to understand which one do we have, because it's good to discern through those things. And the first thing I want to say is you will know if your anxiety is ungodly, when your thoughts are focused on intently trying to change the future, <laughs> right? Control. <laughs> Control. <laughs> and we can expend so much energy trying to solve things in our own strength mm-hmm. versus seeking God's kingdom, which is actually what Jesus exhorts the disciples to do in that same passage. We didn't even read that, but he does say... In verse 33, to seek his kingdom. Instead of being anxious about your life, you're to seek his kingdom instead. And that's just reminding ourselves, he's reminding us rather, that we should be spending uh, time daily with the Lord. Um, And secondly, another thing you can just kind of discern through is you will know that your anxiety is ungodly when it begins to control you instead of you controlling it in a sense. 
Um, in other words, what happens is when you're consumed with ungodly concern or anxiety, what you will notice is it has a tendency to dictate your next decision, you know, okay. um, or your next move, um, whatever that is that you're concerned about, because it's on your mind constantly and it will influence you because the battle begins in the mind. If you're not going to hold your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, like you were saying, then it will dictate your next move. Um, and it can manifest into other things like uh, just being, you know, exhausted or distracted, um, neglecting responsibilities at home. You know how it is. If you've got a lot of things on your mind and you're overly concerned about it, you're super distracted. Um, and it, it can lend itself that way. Um, another thought is you'll know if your anxiety is ungodly when you experience physical ramifications. I think there's a lot to be said for that. It doesn't mean that if you're struggling physically uh, that this is, you know, that anxiety is primarily the issue. But I think that because we're body soul, mm -hmm. there's ramifications. And so if right. you are struggling with sinful anxiety or excessive anxiety, um, you will manifest uh, sleeplessness. Uh, like I said before, ulcers. I mean, the, it could be a whole host of things. Chronic fatigue. That is when I'm counseling, um, if chronic fatigue is usually part of that whole picture that a person struggles with. Insomnia. Why? Because their mind won't shut off. It's a runaway freight it's train. It's a runaway freight train. And so that complicates your issue because mm -hmm. when you're not sleeping, it lends itself to despair and depression. So sometimes depression is just an effect of not sleeping, which is an effect of ungodly concern. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You can you can go all the way back. Um, mm -hmm. The other thought too is that you will know that your anxiety is ungodly when it leads to a loss of hope. You know, you're despairing without hope in a sense, rather than looking to. God's answers um, in his Bible. Um, so if you spend too much time worrying and fretting about the future rather than looking to Christ for hope, in his word, obviously, you're going to feel hopeless. Um, and that's where it can get really scary for people when they allow their thinking to go that for, far, their thought life, because um, deep despair, um, if not uh, dealt with, can actually lend itself towards suicidal thinking. Mm -hmm. And then that's not good, right? Um, but again, Jesus is just saying, you know, in light of becoming anxious about your life, we must uh, seek his kingdom first. And so that means spending time in his word, depending upon him through prayer, um, you know, just knowing that those things are sufficient to help us. Um, and of course, that's just a snippet. We're trying to answer a large, broad topic as we to what the Bible teaches. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's just so the the question that remains is probably, you know, what are some ways now, Kim? Maybe you can be a little more practical. I tried to be somewhat practical, but I mean, just even more so. Let's say that our our listening audience just really listen intently to what I just said, and they're like. I'm a, I'm anxious in a in a sinful way. Now what, Kim? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, but so what? What do I do? Right. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I I recently had the opportunity, Shelby, to speak through Philippians 4, uh, 1 through 9. And um, it was really good for me. Yeah. I love it when I get to teach on a subject because it really makes me work through it in my own heart first. But when we're anxious, 
based on Philippians 4. We're going to go to Philippians 4, and we're going to go through verses about 4 through 9, um, the best that I can here in this short amount of time. Um, but the first part of Philippians 4, ber- verses 4 through 5, tell us that we are to consider God. Mm. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. So the first thing we see there is that we are to rejoice. And that word uh, is in the present tense. And it means we are to keep on rejoicing. We are to live a rejoicing life. That means all the time we are to rejoice. And it says, in the Lord. Okay, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is a sphere that is unrelated to whatever the circumstance that may be bringing anxiety into our life. Mm -hmm. This is in the Lord. And this is an unassailable, unchanging relationship that we have with God. Our circumstances may be amok. But God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. And so we can rejoice in the Lord. And then it says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Um, The forbearing spirit word there is a hard word to translate in the English. Uh, We don't really have an all-inclusive word for it in our language, but it can be forbearing spirit. Um, the idea of gentleness, moderation. Um, and I like the definition of sweet reasonableness. I've really adopted that because when we're anxious, there's really nothing sweet Mm-mm. within our reason, right? That's right. <laughs> within our reasoning. And so it's going to come out in our actions. Um, and when we're when we have a sweet reasonableness, There's going to be a patience about us. Maybe the circumstance that we're anxious about, we're wronged in, right? So we'll be patient. Um, We'll be gentle in our words and actions. And a rejoicing heart is a gentle heart rather than a grumbling or disputing heart. And that's where you can really tell if you have a sweet reasonableness. Mm. So... In this situation, whatever it is, are you responding gently to others, maybe in your family? What about those in your church family, or are you easily annoyed by them? Um, How about those who aren't saved? Hmm. You know, uh, sometimes the trials that come to us or the difficulties or the things we're anxious about is because maybe of someone's spiritual Mm well-being. But can we trust God? The same God who saved us from our sin is capable, right, right. of saving others. So can we have a sweet, reasonable trust, a sweet, reasonable faith that God is good and he is on the throne? Mm. And we see that it says that the Lord is near. When we're aware of the presence of the Lord, we're going to respond differently. We are going to respond in a way that we know that his nearness is our good, mm-hmm. like it says in Psalm 73, 28, yep. and that we are we are focusing on the Lord's intimate care 
over that circumstance, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Either way, if we're approaching him with eternal thoughts, like you said, Shelby, so well, of setting our minds on things above where Christ is um, and knowing that he is our heavenly father, right? Uh, And if we also understand here is this great God who's in heaven, but yet he's also in it imminent mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. his care his his love for us is near he is near to us mm-hmm. so it also says always and i love how it was be anxious for nothing pray about everything yeah. so we're seeing all these all inclusive words right yeah. always so this is one of those all inclusive words it reminds us that we are to have a continual attitude of an action in our life of of always being thankful mm. and always trusting in the Lord. Mm. Then we see we're to put off anxiety and we're to replace it with prayer, mm-hmm. right? And I love this because when we are putting something off, we're replacing it with something that is not of ourselves. Mm. And we're going to see this in this passage. Mm-hmm. And I really love this. But it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we are putting something off that is sinful, but it is being replaced by something that is of God. So prayer is where the action is, is what Susanna Wesley (laughs) children always said because they saw her pray, right? So a prideful heart is going to be consumed by an issue, Mm. but a humble heart is actually confident. And this is, I love this because it's a confidence not in myself, but in the one who knows the end from the beginning. Mm. And so when we look at biblical confidence, it's not rooted in pride. It's rooted in humility of knowing who God is. Mm, mm -hmm. So prayer is just a general word that means devotion and adoration towards God. Mm -hmm. The focus is on him and our dependence is upon him in prayer. And then it uses the word supplications and request. This means that whatever is concerning us, we are asking God, our Father, who cares for us more than all those things that you mentioned in Matthew 6, right? Mm-hmm. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, and we are depending upon him in prayer, asking him to show that care to us. Mm. And um, we can share the little things in life. We can share the big things in life. Because remember to God, they're all little things because he's capable. That's right. He's the one. And I wanted to read this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. I thought it was really good. It says, it is only when we want to take our lives out of the Father's hands and have them under our control that we find ourselves gripped with anxiety. The secret of freedom from anxiety is freedom from ourselves and abandonment from our own plans. But that spirit emerges in our lives only when our minds are filled with the knowledge that our Father can be trusted implicitly to supply everything that we need. Mm. And then it mentions in the passage, 
Thanksgiving. I love the timing of this because here we are, the first day of November. This is the month of Thanksgiving, right? right? And we need to ask ourselves, am I being thankful for whatever he's bringing in my life? Because I know if I'm thankful, I'm realizing that it's going to make me more like Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm not thankful, I'm not anticipating growing and becoming more like my Savior. Hmm. And if you need to ask yourself, are you characterized as a thankful person? So often we look at the nine lepers who were healed and didn't thank Jesus. There was only one who was thankful. Where were the other nine? <laughs> they were more they were more concerned with the fact that they were healed than the healer. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. need to take a, a, a glance from ourselves and gaze upon our Savior. I love what the Puritan John Boyce says. He says, just as the Lord loveth a cheerful giver, so likewise a cheerful thanksgiver. I love that. I do too. I'm going to put it on a word board. <laughs> it's so good. And then Jerry Bridges, who has so many ex, who has mm-hmm. so many has excellent books, but he's with Jesus now, and he's rejoicing in his presence. But he says, Thank- thankfulness to God is a recognition that God, in His goodness and faithfulness, has provided for us and cared for us both physically and spiritually. It is a recognition that we are totally dependent upon him, that all that all we are, all we have comes from God. We keep seeing this word dependence, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. When we step away from being dependent upon God, we will be anxious. So, and then verse seven, this is that putting on, right? God is actually giving us his peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and our minds. Okay? So the peace of God that we will be replacing this anxiety with is going to actually guard our thinking. Mm. And so when our thinking is not guarded, we are refusing the fruit of the Holy Spirit of peace. And we need to be walking in the spirit. Um, This piece, I love, it surpasses all comprehension, which is our thinking, right? Yeah, of course. And we can't fathom it because it is so much greater and sweeter than our sinful anxiety and worrying. Mm. He, He surpasses that. He is greater than that. And he gives us his peace. So we mm. need to ask ourselves, why are we not at peace? It is because our thinking has derailed somewhere. Mm. We can't understand it because it is a peace that is otherly and it guards our hearts, our emotions, and the seat of our very being um, and our minds. And it keeps us from wandering and going into that wild imagination land <laughs> and fearful scenarios that aren't even true. I call it going into the land of what ifs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's saying it, engar- it guards our entire being, everything about us. And all those things that you mentioned about the physical issues. Yeah. Those are not going to happen that way, right? That's not going to take place because we're not doing this in our minds, which affects our bodies. It is comprehensive. Mm. So we have to then think biblically. 
It says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So then you see that when we are walking in the spirit, we are going to be thinking the things that God tells us to think upon. Mm. And that we're, so then we are putting on these things in our mind Mm. okay we're putting off the anxious thoughts we're putting on the godly biblical thoughts Mm -hmm. finally indicates that he is reaching the pinnacle of what his thought was when this was penned and he is summarizing it in this last phrase let your mind dwell on these things this is a command Mm -hmm. not a suggestion okay (laughs) we need to be what it says in this definition, not simple thinking, but rather complex, deep, analytical thinking that ponders and considers these things that we have been told to think upon and the implications that these things, these things have on our lives. Mm. So whatever is true, true, this is our primary source of truth comes from whom? The word of God. God. Mm -hmm. He is true, right? Mm -hmm. Our God is true. Um, And his word is truth. John 17, 17. Uh, Truth is in Christ. Ephesians 4, 21. He is the way, the truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, John 14, 6. And the Holy Spirit illumines us to the truth. Ladies, how is your time in the word? How is your time in God's word? Read what is true. Focus on what is true. And then focus on whatever is honorable. That means whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is noble, whatever is dignified, whatever is reverent. And then whatever is right. I am blowing through these, and I will make an an image for these uh, on Instagram, just kind of giving a quick little definition so the women can have this to reflect on. But whatever is right, the word here is whatever is righteous. Whatever is in perfect harmony with the eternal, unchanging, divine standard of a holy God that is revealed in Scripture. And then whatever's pure is whatever's holy, undefiled, whatever is morally clean is what we need to be thinking upon. Um, And then whatever is lovely, I like this one, whatever's winsome, pleasing, attractive, amiable. It really kind of goes back to that sweet reasonableness, too. So this kind of person is not going to be a fault-finding person who's critical or even it's coming out in their speech, right, as maybe some form of gossip or slander or even like Martha. Jesus, do you not care? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So it could be towards actually our Savior. Hmm. That's unbelief. Um, And Instead, we're going to focus on good, the goodness of God uh, and the good that he has given to us. So we also have whatever is of good repute. This means whatever is well thought of, highly regarded. This really confines me to my thinking, right? Uh, The point is that we are protecting our mind from filth, from junk, from lies, right? 
and from things that we don't even know are going to happen. We're robbing God of glory by stealing things that aren't even, we don't even know are going to happen in the future. So then whatever's excellent. This is also one of my favorite ones. Uh, It's better said, since there is excellence. This is a first class condition. This is really rooted in the excellencies and perfections of God. What you see um, if you read the old dead guys again is they talk about the perfections of God Mm. or the excellencies of God when they're speaking of God's attributes, his character, and his nature. Hmm. So it's taking us right back to thinking on God and hmm. who he is. So I, that's one of my favorite ones. And then whatever is praiseworthy, um, he keeps having this theme of rejoicing and praising God in this little passage. So we are to think on things that are worthy of praise. Hmm. How often do you stop and just say, praise the Lord? When someone tells me something about encouraging that's going on in their life, the first thing I'd say is, praise God, praise the Lord, because mm-hmm. I want that to go to him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to the person who I'm speaking with to acknowledge all praise goes to him, not to us, right? Not yeah. to us. And then finally in verse 9, it tells us that we not only think on these things, but we are to practice these things, okay? And he says, I love this, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Here, Paul gets very pastoral, and also you see him as a disciple, discipler, right? And he is confident that the work that God has done in him and the things that he is doing in his life need to be exemplified by those that he's discipling. Hmm. And also, we see that when he wrote this, he was in prison, but yet he's still being obedient to the scripture to think on the things that are pleasing to the Lord. And so it says in verse nine, what you have heard and seen in me, uh, the terms heard and seen have to do with Paul's reputation and example and what they have learned from watching him day in and day out. Ladies, who are you observing that it can be like Paul to you and be an example to you as a disciple, as a learner, so that you also can practice these things the way that Paul did or the way maybe someone who's discipling you. You see, if we see the, the, uh, and regard the word of God as true, we have to obey it, right? You mentioned functionality earlier. We have to function in how we think. Right. So if we are thinking biblically, we will function biblically. Thomas Adams said true obedience has no lead in its heels. We talk about being a lead foot, right? (laughs) But this is talking about dragging our heels, our feet in obedience. This is the result of wrong thinking. But notice also this command practice comes again with a promise. And the promise is in 9b, the God of peace will be with you. Why does God say the God of peace? 
He's talking about being content in anything and everything. And that's why he calls him the God of peace. This man is in prison and is talking about the God of peace. That is otherly. That is not of us. I love what Jerry Bridges says. He says, uh, God makes provision for our holiness, but he gives us the responsibility of using the provisions. Mm -hmm. Holy living is practicing godly thinking. I love that. We uh, have a list of helpful resources, but time is running short. So I will put those resources that we have on our Facebook group. Be sure to follow us on our podcast Facebook group. We have over a thousand women in it. And uh, I share resources there for our women that will help them grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But Shelby, we have covered a huge topic. Like I said, we could have done easily four uh, (laughs) discussions on this, but we blew through it. But we we really just want to give you some things to, to think upon. Mm-hmm. to think on these things. And we want to thank TMU for uh, being uh, here for us and recording us each time that we get together. Uh, we're so thankful for our team and the production crew. They've been wonderful. And also, I just want to thank our listeners. We're thankful for you. And in this season of thankfulness, let's really choose to think in a manner that shows gratitude to our great God who sent his son to die for our sins. I can't think of anything that we should be more thankful for. Amen. Right? Mm -hmm. So ladies, have a wonderful November, and we will catch you on the Christmas side of things. Thank you for listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University. For more resources and episodes, visit masters.edu slash women's hope. For more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. We'll see you next time.